to see them grow and be faithful and to go out and do what God has called us to do. So he prays. And then after he finishes the prayer, he starts off that, I therefore, verse 1 of chapter 4, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. I'm just going to stop there for a second. He, he, he reminds them again, prisoner of the Lord. See, he, he, he warned them earlier not to let that trip them up, but he didn't avoid talking about it. I am in this position because of my choice to walk in Christ and it is benefiting you. And so in essence, he's saying, look, in light of what I've just told you and taught you, first three chapters, um, you know, and the fact that I am sacrificing greatly, I'm, I'm, I'm still a prisoner as I'm sharing this. I'm not sharing this from a comfortable nor a lofty position, but a sacrificial one. So listen well. You've had anyone ever want to talk to you from a position of having sacrificed greatly for you? You, 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 you tend to listen more and well. I've shared this one before because it stands out. I'm a lover of, 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 of war flicks. And so one of my favorite is Saving Private Ryan. One of my favorite ones. And at the very end of that, you know, as, 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 as main star, um, Tom, Tom Hanks' um, role, person, character, I was trying to think of the word, as he lays dying, and this ain't no spoiler. If you haven't seen him by now, you won't. As, as, as he lays dying from his wound, Private Ryan, who the whole movie was about saving him because he was the last in his family of all his brothers, all his other brothers having been killed in war and they were trying to get this family to have at least one son, he walks up to him and Tom Hanks' character says to him, he just looks at him and all he says is earn it. Now, I know theologically that's not where I'm going with this because you can't earn anything. But he says to him, he just looked at him and he says, earn this. What was the this? He said, I gave my life for you. And he turns around and he says to him, do something with it. And then it pans to years later Private Ryan is an old man, and he is standing at the grave of this lieutenant that died for him. And he turns to his wife and he says, have I, have I lived well? I, I love that scene. Why? He, someone died that I could live. Am I living up to that person dying for me? That did it. And that's what I think about when we get into chapter four. He says, look, Christ has done, he said, I'm a prisoner as a result of being obedient to God on your behalf. I'm in jail. And as a matter of fact, you know, he goes, I'm going to be killed for it, for this faith. And he didn't say it reluctantly or angrily. He didn't say that. He was telling them it's at great sacrifice that you are receiving what you are getting. And so he says to them, look, therefore, since all of what I just told you about is the case, and thus you have your position in Christ, and that I'm a prisoner for the Lord, still want to encourage and to warn you, 
he says, I urge you. This is this, it is this sense of urgency is critical. I urge you. Hmm. He urges them to do something. We're going to look at three things this morning as a result, and that will help us to walk worthy together. First thing that we're going to look at is that we would that we need to live appropriate to the position and the call that we have. We'll get into that in just a moment. Live appropriate to the position and the call that we have. Second thing, that we are to work according to the intent of the call. That we are to work according to the intent of that call. <clears throat> and then lastly, and actually for the remaining chapters, the remaining verses in this book, starting at verse 17 of chapter 4, all the way through the end of 6. You're going to hear how to walk worthy as a Christian in the context of community. How to walk worthy as a Christian in the context of community. What Paul does then is he goes into the different spheres of a Christian's life as he's talking to the Ephesians, and he takes them until he does chapter 4 personally, what your life is to look like so corporately you can look in a particular way. Then he takes you to chapter 5, and he deals with marriage and family. And then in chapter 6, he deals with family, parenting, and work, and then dealing with spiritual warfare. And so he takes you into the different spheres of your life and says, here's how you walk worthy. And so chapter four in that beginning is that instructional statement that he gives at first, and then he explains through the rest of the chapter what it looks like if you are doing and living according to the instruction at the beginning. And so he starts off and says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so the first thing he does is he says, look, live appropriate to the position and the call. Number one, you were divinely summoned. That word, when he says that, uh, you walk worthy of the calling. That word actually is a summonsing, an invitation, but it is always thought of as a divine one whenever that word is used. So he's saying here, look, live in a manner worthy. Live, <laughs> you don't need to earn it because you couldn't. So God gave this gift to you, but he says, live worthy of what you've been given. Live out of, not up to, live out of who you are and what you have. The expectation is huge. Live up to what he has, but he doesn't leave us alone. So he says, you were divinely summoned. And first and foremost, I know when people talk about, I got, um, I got the call of God on my life, they usually mean being involved in some sort of action. I got the call of God on my life. Let me help us out just for a second. That call is first and foremost a call to holiness. It is an individual holy life he calls you to. Not that you earn it, not that you do it on your own. Understand what he did. 
He gave the command when he said, be holy for I'm holy. But he understood that you and I could never do that on our own. So he sends Christ, who lives to show us how to live holy, dies and is raised from the dead to give us the ability to live holy. Then we embrace it, and then we live holy progressively. Positionally, we are holy in Christ. You can't stand before God unholy. You can't. And so when we come before God, it is through the finished work of Christ when he sees us. But he calls us to daily holiness. That's the process of sanctification. He calls us to daily holiness. And he says that is by you submitting yourself to the will of God as you learn the word of God and then you live it out. So what he tells us then is he says, look, the first one, when you are called, you are called to holiness before you do anything for God. Because many times we think if I'm doing this for God, I can kind of cut some corners because I'm doing it for God. There's no corners to cut. You missed the call because what you don't understand is that that call was one to holiness. That is why the Lord cleaned us and saved us is so that we can be a part of his family and actually stand before him. And when you stand before him, you stand, you stand in the holiness that Christ has enabled and has given. So the first thing as you live appropriate to the position and the call is that you were divinely summoned. He says that. Walk in a manner worthy. But then there is your, expect, your, your, sorry, your expected disposition after you were divinely summoned, your expected disposition is this. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Do you see what he did immediately, immediately after he told them of this individual call of God to holiness? That's salvation. It was an ind You're not called as a group. You're not called as a family. You are called as an individual. God calls individuals. We've heard it said there are no grandkids in the family of God. There are no cousins. I can't come because of my cousin. My grandmama's salvation, we know, didn't mean mine was intact on my parents. You came individually, but immediately look what he does. He says, with all humility... And gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the union of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He throws you in community immediately. And we have to understand that. The Christian context is a communal one. You, you enter it individually. That's how you enter the door. But as soon as you enter, you are put into a community, not a silo. You are not to be there by yourself. God has no lone rangers. And so immediately what you see happens, he says, look, because of all that's been done for you, because of all that had to happen to get you undeservedly as it was to the place where you are, your natural disposition, your natural response, your natural lifestyle should, two things should be evident, your humility and your gentleness. Number one, your humility. Nothing worse than an arrogant, 
an egotistical Christian. That makes no sense. It doesn't. I mean, we see it and we've even been it. But it makes no sense because nothing we have came as a result of our own. That's like the person who is born and grows naturally to be whatever tall is considered and he or she looks down on someone that doesn't get to whatever tall is considered. I want to turn to them and say, you had nothing to do with that. That was given to you. That's a result of genetics, none of which you had a hand in. Or whether you're shorter or not, or whether you're, hey, look, look, or characteristics of your person. You had nothing to do with that. When you were in the womb, you didn't say, hey, I'd like my eyes to be a little skinnier. I like my nose to be a little slimmer or fatter. Hey, I would like my lips to be just a little bit more plump. Hey, could you fix some of the rest of me? I'm not getting into the parts, but you know, hey, it, can you make sure that um, Because I would have had some things to say, but I would have had to know to look forward. But we didn't ask that. And so who we came out as was not a result of ourselves. And what he says to us here is your natural disposition as a believer, as a member of the family, it says with all humility, and that humility means knowing your place under God. That's as simply as I could put it. See, arrogance forgets, arrogance forgets that we're under God. Arrogance doesn't take into account. It doesn't end, stop, and, 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 and start with me. See, humility understands there is someone greater and there is a focus more than my own life. He says, with all humility, that's how you interact with the community that God has put you in. He says, your, your disposition, humbleness, because you come to people not with this, hey, I got it all together. Y'all should just be glad I'm here. And then with gentleness, how you handle people. See, these are characteristics, too, that were spoken of of Christ. And when you think about it, too, especially this gentleness or as um, some older versions will say meekness, Christ did not force himself. He wasn't rough. He didn't use his force in the way that he could. When I was trying to understand meekness years ago, I had a brother explain it to me that helped me to understand it then and even now. How many people remember that old vice grip? I don't know if you've had to deal with one. I, I did because I was in shop in high school. I don't even know they do that anymore. I was in shop in high school, and if you wanted to hold something tight in it, you put it in that grip. And this brother that was explaining meekness to me, which was strength under control, strength under control, he says, have you ever tried to hold an egg in a vice grip? Because if you just one inch too tight, that egg is cracking. If you've ever seen the vice, you got to turn it. And he said, the egg in the vice grip is meekness. Because that vice grip can crush it in a second. But it holds it ever so gently. That's meekness. That's gentleness. God says, 
Look, your disposition as you enter this community as believers and as followers in Christ is that you ought to be one, know your place under God, and know how to handle folk when you're out there. And let me tell you, from what we are seeing today in the church at large, <laughs> it is absent of those two things. We got a bunch of folk arrogantly walking around as if they have some sort of special in with God. And then we got folk that are rough as ever. Boy, they are crushing every egg they come into touch with. And God says, that's not me. That's not me. So live appropriate to the call. You are divinely summoned. Your, expect your expected disposition, humility and gentleness but then the unifying nature of the faith, you need to understand. Because he says, now he goes, again, you know, with all humility and gentleness, which is how you live. Then he says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I, I, I had to stop there and I had to think, does that typify how I deal with people? First of all, with patience, because I can be impatient. With patience with patience, bearing with one another. It's, that's an interesting combination because you can just bear with someone and that means kind of um, holding up under the load of dealing with them because sometimes some of you can be a load. And sometimes I can be a load. And so it says, when it says bearing with one another, he says with patience, in other words, don't be like, I'm done with you, dude tired of you. With patience, that means being able to, to bear long, with patience, holding up under the load of the people in the community. Wow. And the context for it is not, I'm just waiting for this to be over. The context is love. So he says, with patience, bearing with one another, in love because you care for their well-being. That's love he's talking about. And, and, and so you, you get the picture. Remember, he is explaining now how to walk out the position that you've been given in Christ. First three chapters, now he's explaining how that looks. And the first thing he says is live appropriately to the position and the call, and you do that. Understanding the unifying nature of the faith, he says, bear with one another. And this is the other part. You're eager to do this next part, which I pray that that becomes and that, and that, and that remains us. He says, eager. I love this. Not grudgingly. Think of the last time you were eager to do something. You were ready, itching. Every opportunity. You are looking forward to it. He says that you are to be, and here it is. That's the work of Christ in our lives by his spirit. It makes you eager, eager to do what? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let me explain that for just a second. Notice what it did not say. We were not to create or make unity because we can't. It's not ours to create. We can't do it. God did it and he explains it 
especially in chapter 2 when he brought Jew and Gentile together, when he broke down the wall of hostility between us and God and thus between us and other people and cultures, when he broke it down, he brought the ability to live peacefully. He brought it to us. He says, here is peace, believer, child of mine, follower of Christ. I've created it for your community. Now I'm calling you to keep it. And when he says to keep it, it means visibly let it be seen among you. That's what it means to keep it. God's not asking you to hold it together. He knows you and I can't. So the keeping is in visibly let it be seen, let it be demonstrated in your community. How is unity maintained and visibly demonstrated? By being at peace. Wow. What do you mean by being at peace? Like we never argue? No, he's not saying that at all. Understanding that the peace that brought you together in Christ is the peace that's going to keep you together in Christ. So he says live at peace. And that peace is the bond. It is actually the glue. Have y'all ever broken something really important? and hope that that glue that you're using keeps it together? Some of us have bought some cheap glue and it didn't last much. And let me tell you, there's some cheap bonding that we think we're going to have in our churches that we're taking from the world. And it's not going to work. We think that if we just make it you know, equally economically, I'm not saying that we don't help people economically because we do. If we can just get economically, we'll all be together. Mm, no, that's the cheap glue. Um, maybe if, 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 if we all just have equal opportunity, and I believe that people should have good opportunities, but that's not going to bring the unity in the church. Hmm. Maybe if we just give away the farm that we can bring away, bring, bring unity. Hmm. No, he says it's by living out the peace that Christ gives in the community when he brought you into it. The reason you are in it is because you were, you were at peace with God. Now you can be at peace with others. And this is Christ-driven. And thus, in our arrogance, when we are fighting, when we are going at it with each other, we are not operating. Now understand, and we're going to see this again, he is not saying unity at all costs that you throw and you jettison the truth. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying that based on what I've done, what I've given, and who you are, here you go. So he says, look, it is to be seen and it is in the context of Christ that, 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 that unifying nature. He goes into these seven um, seven truths of oneness. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to know, in essence, it is utterly impossible for this oneness and this unity that God has given to be broken, but you and I can cause it to not be demonstrated by our disobedience to what he is saying. So he says here, look, for what? He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Do you have enough ones? Do you see the level of oneness that God has put into place? 
what he's saying to you and I is that is how serious and intentional and critical this oneness is. And we think it's just a song. Or can we all just have a kumbaya moment? Come on, y'all. It's much more than that. Everything that Christ did was to give, was to bring peace in two ways. Us with God and us with each other. That's what he did. And he just tells you and I to keep it. Don't mess it up. And then he calls us to work according to the intent of the call. Because he looks at the fact and he says that he gave gifts. When he ascended, he led captives free. I mean, sorry, he, he led, let me just read it. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 8, we'll have talking about that he led a, a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. His ability is when he was resurrected, what he was doing was putting us in a position to be able for us, for us to be able to live out what God had intended in Christ. And here's what it was. He would give gifts to us and he explains some of those gifts right after it. In other words, he would give gifted ones. So we ought to work according to the intent of the call. And the intent is that Christ gifted the church to be equipped. I love that. He gifted us to be equipped. See, we think the gifted ones are the ones to do the work. And they're not. The work for the gifted ones is to equip. Because the work is to be done by everyone. And so the work, the intent of the call, he says, look, understand that he gives a, a, he gives a diverse gifting. So there is this diversity in his dispensing of the gifts so that in that diversity of dispensing, it would bring about this unity that he's calling for. So he gave these gifted ones. And they do different things amongst the body of Christ. Why is my focus here? We're not going to get into each of those. He says, why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why do the saints need to be equipped? He answers that question. For the building up of the body of Christ. See, the people that God gives, the gifted ones, and so those are, apostles who gave us what we have as the word and 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 those who spoke prophetically even in the church now and it is that it is not that foretelling but it is that proclaiming of the truth that what did he give us for so that we would be equal I mean so that we would build build what God's body that we would be in the construction process of keeping that unity of continuing to strengthen and to build, build what? Build maturity, build discipleship, build seriousness. He put that in our charge. I remember hearing years ago, the late Billy Graham said, the way that I see gifts, spiritual gifts, is that when every person comes into the family of God, he is given a tool to build. And he is. 
God has gifted every believer. And then he gives those gifted individuals, not just pastors, but he's pastors, teachers. He gave these gifted ones to equip everyone so that everyone would work. And what are you working at? If it's not building of the body, you're doing the wrong work. If, 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 if you are not, if your intention is not to build up the body with how God has blessed you, you are working in the wrong area. How from what God has given you are you using it to build up the body of Christ, to build up its maturity, to build up its unity, to build up how it glorifies God. You have to ask yourself that question. How has God gifted me and how am I using it for the work of building unity? And so he says, look, understand the goal of building is unity and maturity. And the maturity is in both doctrine and in living. Because he says, look, we want to get to a point where you are no longer tossed to and fro. That's why you have these gifted ones that are equipping you to help you to know the truth and to spot that which is not. And so then he tells us, look, understand well. until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, there will come a day where it will all end and we are building up to that crescendo. We are, we are, we are, we are building up to that. And he says, listen, your building doesn't stop until we are standing in front of Christ and experience him in all his fullness. Until then, keep building. I think all of us have seen in some process buildings go up. And, 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 and I do remember some of the different buildings as I was coming up in New York and you would see some of the, some of the skyscrapers that exist now, I watched them build. And it's interesting how you, you know, you know and, and you see and you see and one day you go, wow, that is this, that is awesome building. But I do understand that's temporary because them buildings fall down. As a matter of fact, I was reading something where I remember when they built this, the big fancy hotel that was right over, or I'm sorry, right, right over or next to Grand Central Station, big glass front. And I remember when they were building it, back when I lived there, it said the $100 million hotel. Now that's pennies today. <laughs> the $100 million hotel. And I thought, oh my gosh, what kind of building? And it was beautiful. I just was reading something in the news where they are now making up designs for the new hotel. And I'm sure you, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to cost more than $100 million. But the deal was, here on earth, that's temporary. But what God is building, it's that one day that finished product will look glorious. But he says, until then, keep building. And you say, well, what's my part? How have I gifted you? How have I set you in the body? And is it just for you to show off, I got this gift? Or is the result of you utilizing your gift, is it the result is the maturing of the people of God? You say, well, I don't teach. He didn't say you had to teach to help in the maturing of the people of God. Sometimes your, 
your mercy, your administration, sometimes your care and compassion. Sometimes that is what helps in the, in the, in the maturation process. We think if I'm not teaching, I'm not working. Oh, you missed a whole part of it. Because when you look at and you go through the scriptures and you look at some of the different gifting that is mentioned, a lot of it is in speaking. The reason why speaking is so, you know, sought after, and here's, why I, I, here's where I tell people, be careful. And I say to my fellow pastors and elders and those who speak to be careful is that speaking is sought after because it puts people out front. And it causes people to be focused on and heard. And those of us who preach and teach have to watch ourselves. We have to watch our attitudes and our hearts. We have to watch our motivations. We have, why? Because that whole pride can come up at any time when I'm standing here talking before a group of people and they're all listening to me as I instruct and teach. And don't let me be one that has some good flair and have some good points and illustrations and interjection and I get the crowd going and folk really like it. Be careful. Because what God really is doing, it ain't about you being seen, dude. He's using you to build the body. Is it happening as a result of your ministry? Or is it just you just trying to prove yourself right? trying to prove a point, trying to make people see how intelligent you are. That's not God. I wrote this down. I actually got this from, um, got this from um, the letter to the Ephesians commentary. I love this. He said, the exalted Christ has given his gifts to the church so that by building his body, immaturity and instability and, and instability will increasingly be left behind. Let me say that again, because when I read it, I was like, ooh, that is great. The exalted Christ has given his gifts to the church so that by building his body, immaturity and instability will increasingly be left behind. That's why we build. And then lastly, how to walk worthy. And again, this, we've gone over this in detail, so I'm not going to do that. But this section starts through the rest of the book, how walking worthy looks first with you individually and then into the different spheres of your life. Family, marriage, family, uh, work, and then dealing with spiritual warfare. He said, here's how it looks, but he starts off, and I love it, individually. Verse 17 says, now he says, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Understand who he's talking to. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to people in the Ephesian region. These are people who had lived this pagan lifestyle with their Gentile gods and they are now believers. And he says, don't walk as the Gentiles. You mean, in other words, y'all know what I'm talking about. That would have been us as well, because anyone that wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. And so he says, don't walk, because let me, he says, no longer live in the darkness and the futility of Gentile thinking and living. That's what he, tells. he says, look, if you go back to living 
the way that those around you, because remember, they were in a very secular society. Understand, too, they were in a very sensual society. I mentioned this before. In Ephesus, there was the Temple of Diana. And so you had, you had temple prostitutes. And that whole sensual area was religious. And you went to various degrees of spirituality through sensuality. How sick. But we've adopted some of that. Oh, maybe not sexually, but sensually we come in here. And if I'm not hyped, boy, if I'm not, if you don't stir me, if I'm not screaming, if I'm not about to break, nothing happened today. And I say to us, really? God is sharing his word that was given to us for our instruction and our maturity and our growth. And all I'm concerned with is how hype I got. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy your fellowship and express yourself well. Yes, you should and you can. And it's not saying that we should be drab and dull as we come in and act like we just lost our family as we walked in the door. What I'm saying is that the goal is not to hype you. It's to grow you. And so he says to us, look, they understood. They lived in a very sensual society. And he tells them, don't go back to that. Don't, because look, it is dark and it is futile. In other words, it's pointless. It's not going to get you anything. He goes, it may look good and it does, but let me just go all the way to the end for you for a moment. It's dark. In other words, you really don't see where you're going. You're just living out this life from sensuality to sensuality. And don't just think sex when I say sensuality. It's in every area. It is always about just my emotions and my feelings. That's all it's about. Everything is about that. Not that those don't come into being because we are emotional beings, but you're not driven by that. And so he says now that, that no, no, I'm not into, he says, look, this is about, this is about your, this is about your growth. So it is dark. You won't see where you're going and it's pointless. It's not going to lead you anywhere. It's going to leave you at the end going, what did I just do with my life? And instead, because he says to us, he uses words like their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God. They are ignorant. They are callous. They are given over to sensuality. He said, that's darkness. Instead, he says, he wants you to live as new humanity set free from darkness. And, and what is that? He says, you speak the truth. He says, you do not get sinfully angry. And let me just help us out. Most of our anger is sinful. Because the words, when it says, be angry and sin not, and as you look throughout Scripture and it tells them be angry, most times when you and I are angry is because we have been inconvenienced and we felt that our thoughts and desires have been pressed upon. It is not about God. We like to say I'm righteously anger, but if you actually reflect on your righteous anger, it's more self-righteous than it is righteous. And so he says to you and I, do not be sinfully angry. Don't give opportunity to the devil. Stop defrauding and stealing from people in the family of God. Stop talking corruptly. He's again helping us. This is how you walk worthy. 
Don't grieve the Holy Spirit when the Spirit is working in your life and prodding and pushing. You'll be like, no, no. You keep saying, no, no. You are grieving God's pushing. He's prodding you to move. But then at the end, he says, let your hearts and actions be Christ-like. I'm going to read verse 32, and then we're going to close because I love it. He says, "Be here is a good picture, not of perfection, but what we are always striving for as a community. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Wow. Do you see that? That's how the community of faith is to look. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Huh. And keep in mind, as Christ forgave you. So he's saying, as it has been done to you. And so you and I, man, when I look at that, I go, God, amazing. That's how the community, as you put into practice all those things individually, he says, it's going to play out in the community. And so for you and I, he calls us to walk worthy together. It is an act of the Holy Spirit, the enabling power through the decision of your will once you come into Christ to allow God to work in you and to work through you to build a community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you and you alone, oh God, have called and you, 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 you have divinely summoned us you have called us to yourself. You have called us to a life of holiness first and then a life of God of living out our life in you in connection with others. That's what you've called us to. And then, Lord, you told us to do it with a heart of humility and gentleness and how we handle one another, speaking the truth in love. And all of it is in that context of love. And, Lord, you tell us that it is all for the goal that the body is being built and working together until one day we reach that fullness of Christ experientially. And so, Father, I pray that we would be people that are building. God, that we would be at work and we would do the work that you have summoned us to do. Father, that we would work from clean lives and then we will help to work for others to have clean lives, and that when we're out in the world, they would see the unity that you have created and that we are maintaining. And so, Father, we pray for your strength. We can't do this by ourselves. This is only an act of you at work, and we pray that you would help us to be serious about it, Father, to continue to work at it. If we fail to get up and to allow you to forgive us and cleanse us and move forward. Lord, we thank you because you've set it up so well for us. We pray that you will strengthen us in Christ's name, amen. This morning, I thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just really grateful that we get a chance to get into God's word and for us to be able to um, allow him to work on us and in us. You know what this, what this text meant to you. God was speaking to us collectively, but God is speaking to you individually as well. Don't miss it. If you need some time today, this week, take some time and reflect on what God is saying 
to us as a body, but saying to you specifically, and here's what I want you to consider. How are you building in the body? And what are you building? How are you building with what God has gifted you with? And maybe you need to find out what your gifts are. And we as a church and as leaders can help you to do that. But then the second thing is, what are you building? Are you building something for yourself to be seen or to be remembered? Or are you building unity so that the body is seen for what it is? Because that's what God calls us to. Are you helping people to mature? Or are you trying to divide as you prop up yourself and promote yourself? God has called us to himself, but then he's called us to be around one another. So let's make sure we're doing that today. And maybe you have heard this and you've not ever given yourself over to Christ. This is a great time. You realize that you are sinful because everyone is born into this world sinful. You realize you're sinful. You realize Christ is the answer for that sin in his forgiveness. And if you turn and embrace what he has done, repenting, he brings you into the family and you are put into this community and you are put at work. And if that's you today, I ask you to make that decision and to come to Christ. And if you do that, can you let one of us know? Can you let us know if you're watching? You can let us know the information that you can call or write. And we would love to be able to put some things in your hand and to let you know how you can grow. And so we thank you again this morning. Continue to pray for one another. Um, continue to pray that we continually demonstrate who Christ is. Our gospel is not weak, y'all. Man, it can handle anything thrown at it. Let me help you out. If it can handle the days of the Romans and the Ephesians and all the stuff that went on in some of these different places and cities, it can handle what happens here in Indianapolis or in whatever city you're in. The gospel is strong. Let's not make it look weak. Father, I pray that we would go in strength, not because we are strong, but because you are. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. This morning, you are going to be dismissed a little differently. It is ridiculously cold outside. And so we are inside. If you want to remain for a little while, you can. I just ask you to be distant out there. We're going to dismiss everyone out that way by sections um, because it's not clear out here, icy, and there's a big mound at the end. Some of y'all might have seen that from last week. So we're not going out um, that way. I do ask that you keep yourself masked. If you want to fellowship for a little bit, you can out here, but just remain distance. And when you get outside, I know it's going to be bye, see ya. You ain't going to be hanging out in the parking lot. <laughs> Because it is gold. Um, these are those days where I go, Lord, thank you. Um, I got family in the South. God's like, be quiet, son. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, look, let's have a great week. And um, allow God to use you this week in the construction industry. Build in the body. Do your part. God bless you. You're dismissed. My sister.